One place is very pleasant to talk about. One, not so pleasant. But Jesus Christ said a whole lot about both heaven and hell. Today, Pat Zuckerman explores these two destinies and gives evidence that they are real. This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is a popular speaker, author, and scholar who presents and defends the claims of Christ all over the world. And as Pat points out, the topic of heaven and hell generates lots of questions. Today, we'll hear part one of Pat's examination on this often misunderstood biblical teaching. And by the way, you can check out resources on hundreds of topics at evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is available for download. Read Pat's articles, books, and past radio shows that will equip you in the crucial challenges of your spiritual journey. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat Zuckerman on Heaven and Hell. There's a lot of interest. What happens after death? What happens after the physical body dies? What happens? There's a ton of interest all over the world. Anywhere I travel in the world and speak, this is one of the most requested topics that I'm asked to speak on. And one of the best pictures or illustrations of heaven and hell I found here on the far side. Welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. There's an angel giving them a harp. Welcome to hell. Here's your accordion. And you're an accordion. Anyway, that was funny. <laughs> There's much uh, interest in what happens regarding what happens when we cross the threshold into eternity. In fact, just a few years ago, about Christmas time, Barbara Walters of ABC News did a special on heaven. And she stated, as this special opened, she said, this is one of the most important pieces I have ever done. I hope it will be inspirational and to some degree educational. Several of the facts mentioned in this special ought to encourage us, and, and I find it uh, very encouraging, but also very interesting. First, nine out of ten Americans believe in an afterlife, and nearly as many believed a heaven exists. You know, throughout the world, no matter how much uh, atheists try to stamp out the belief in an afterlife, no matter where you go throughout the world, the vast, vast majority of people believe there's something beyond the grave here. And especially here in the United States, the vast, vast majority believe there is something that lies beyond the grave here. It cannot be stomped out of the human psyche. Barbara Walters state, here we are at a time when we are so technically oriented and we have a bigger and bigger spiritual need. The popularity of books like Mitch Albom's Five People You Meet in Heaven indicates many people are searching for the purpose of life. I did a critique on this book. Uh, it's on our website at probe.org or evidenceandanswers.org. And it's about the people you meet when you go to heaven and you're going to discover what really the meaning of your life was all about. Why is it that there is such an interest in heaven? And what lies beyond the grave? Why is it that no matter how, much, how hard the naturalists and atheists try, that cannot be stomped out of the human mind and spirit? Why is that? Well, I believe the Bible gives us the answer. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it states, He has set eternity in the hearts of men, 
We are created in the image of God and we indelibly stamped upon our minds and our spirits we know that there's something beyond the grave. This life is not all that there is. Created and designed in the image of God, that understanding is innate within each one of us. And we also understand that without God or eternal life, our earthly existence here is essentially meaningless. It's hopeless, it's insignificant, and it's meaningless. All the great atheist philosophers have come to that conclusion. Think about it. If the universe is an accident, okay, uh, the Big Bang, an explosion out of nothing, for no reason or no cause, just simply an accident. The universe is here by accident. Life began as an accident. Guess what? You're an accident too. There's no ultimate meaning or purpose for your existence here. And what great future do you face? Annihilation. That's it. You're going to live for a brief moment in time and you'll be annihilated. That's it. Forever and ever. Never to see your loved ones ever again. And guess what? Mankind will one day be annihilated. Why? Well, the universe is one day going to come to an end. As the universe expands, it runs out of energy and it runs into a state of final entropy and the universe is going to die. Well, what difference did it make that we were ever here? The only certainty we face is what? Annihilation. Annihilation of us, our families, of mankind, the solar system and the universe. It's all going to come to an end. What difference did it ever make? So ultimately, if there's no God, if there is no eternal life, ultimately our lives are meaningless. And we understand that. All the great philosophers have come to an understanding of that. Solomon came to an understanding of that at the end of his life, after having turned away from God, he opens the book of Ecclesiastes 1 saying what? Meaningless, meaningless. All things are meaningless. Without God, without eternal life, Ultimately, your life is hopeless, void of significance, void of any kind of meaning. Well, before we take a look at the good news of heaven, let's take a look at the bad news about hell. You know, I was at the sports bar the other night talking to a young man who had left church. He no longer went to church, and one of the reasons is he could not comprehend how a God of love could create such a fiery place of torture for those he created. He said, what kind of God is that? You know, and that's why I've never been back to church. Uh, I've read the biography of Charles Darwin, what led him into a slide into agnosticism, or many believe atheism, was his misunderstanding of the doctrine of hell. You know, there have been others who have said, would you take a puppy dog and dangle him and torture him over the fire? That kind of person is not human. How can we believe in a God who does that? So it's important to understand exactly what, it, what the doctrine of hell is all about. First, hell was not part of the created order that God said was good. In Matthew chapter 25, if you want to turn there, here is the judgment between the sheep and the goats. And he puts one on his left side and one on his right. And to the goats he says, 
Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This was not part of God's original created order that he said was good. This was created as the result of the rebellion of Satan and his angels, and this was a prison created for them. Now, hell is described further in this passage here, and it's not so much described spatially as it is described relationally. You get it? It's not so much spatial as it is relational. What is hell? It is a place separated from the presence of God. First Thess Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 if you want to turn there says this they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power so hell is not described so much spatially as relationally it is a place separated away from the presence of God if people don't want to be with God now they don't want to be in his intimate presence forever and ever and ever. When we get to describe heaven, you'll come to a further understanding of why. If you don't want to be with God now, he's not going to force you to be with him forever. He'll honor your choice and allow you to be separated from him forever. Hell is separation from the love of God and anything of real value away from the type of life you are always meant to live. It's a place of sorrow and anguish. Jesus described it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? You saw that a lot in um, Austin, Texas this past year after they lost the championship. Right? The Alabama. All those UT fans weeping, gnashing of teeth. Right? Weeping represents the great sorrow that's faced as a result of, of having lost all that life was ever meant to be, being separated from it forever. The gnashing of teeth represents the incredible pain one feels, being separated from God, from love, from all that eternal life was ever meant to be is now lost forever. You are separated from God. And essentially, that is the definition of hell. You're simply separated from the presence of God. Quarantined from the presence of God. There is mental anguish as well as physical anguish. Since there is the resurrection of the body at the end of the age, the pain will not only be mental, but physical as well. You know, the worst kind of jail sentence anyone can ever receive is what? Solitary confinement. Why is that? You're there all alone with your thoughts. No one there to comfort you. No one there whom you can share your deepest hurts with and who can minister to you in your time of great need. There's nobody there. It's you and your thoughts all alone, reflecting on the things that you have done. That's why so many guys just go crazy in solitary confinement. It's the worst kind of punishment to have. And, and that's a picture, a little bit, of, of what hell is all about. Isolated, 
away from the presence of God, from love, from His glory, from the majesty of His power, everything that eternal life was ever meant to be. Now, hell is described as a place of torment, not torture. There's a difference there. Okay? It's a place of torment. It's not a place where God tortures people. It's a place of torment, a place of great pain, sorrow, and anguish. Let me tell you the difference between torment and torture. Torment comes from within. Torture is inflicted from the outside. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus describes hell as a place of torment, not a place of torture. It's not a place where God inflicts pain and tortures people. The pain described in hell comes from within. Hey, when I say something like, I'm burning up inside, you know, does this mean literally I'm on fire, I'm being tortured? No, I'm in torment from within. The regret, the anguish, having lost all that is valuable and all that life was ever meant to be, causes great regret and sorrow and torment within the person. That's where the suffering and the pain comes from. God is not sitting there torturing people the torment that has come is from the individual himself and the choice that he or she has made. If people don't want to be with God now, it'll be hell for them in heaven where they're directly in the presence of God. His presence is completely inescapable there in heaven. They won't want to be with him for all eternity. That would be hell for them. So he honors their choice and allows them to be separated from him forever. Let me give you an example. I was at a rally uh, for George Bush when he was running for president, and it was in the finest hotel in Dallas. The best music was being played. We had the best food, the finest decorations. I mean, you name it. It was there, this rally to raise funds for George Bush. A great dinner, great banquet, great speakers. Uh, but I had a friend with me, and the guy hates George Bush. He thinks George Bush is the Antichrist. Now, we were there in the finest place in all of Dallas. The best food, you know. Uh, the best music. Champagne, wine, great speeches. But all over were what? Posters of George Bush. People speaking, were famous people speaking about the great things George Bush did. Everything was about George Bush. And though we were in the finest place in all of Dallas, was my friend having a good time? That was absolute hell for the guy. The guy couldn't stand it there. You know, after a few minutes, you know, the guy had to leave. You know, hearing the speeches made him want to vomit, you know. Now, imagine someone who doesn't want to be with God now. Is he going to want to be with God for all eternity in heaven when everything in heaven, it's all about God? There's many objections to hell. I'm just going to mention one today. Uh, maybe perhaps some other time we can talk about others. But main objection I receive is how can a loving God send people to hell? The answer is this. He does not send people to hell. They choose to go there. Hell fulfills the justice of God. 
See, sin cannot be in the very intimate presence of God. So it fulfills His justice, but it respects the choice of men and women. If you don't want to be with God now, He's not going to force you and make you be in His presence with Him for all eternity. He will honor your choice and allow you to spend eternity separated from Him. He doesn't send people there. People choose to go there. Now we get to the good news. Heaven. What's heaven all about? Well, we could spend the whole afternoon on that. But we're just going to go through briefly just a few things about heaven that the Bible reveals. And basically any description I'm going to give you or the biblical writers give you falls way, way short. I mean, the best they can do is give you analogies and metaphors. That's the best they can do to try to create the picture of what heaven is all about. Now, if hell is being shut out from the presence of God, heaven is being in the very direct, intimate presence of God. Here is where believers will see what they have longed for for all their time here upon the earth. They're going to see the Lord face to face. The fancy term here is called the beatific vision. There we will stand before the very throne of God. And that is the centerpiece of heaven, is the throne of God. It's inescapable. You can't escape it. It is the centerpiece of heaven. The glory of God radiates throughout heaven. You can't get away from the very intimate presence of God and, or not uh, notice the throne of God. I mean, it is the very centerpiece of heaven. We're going to see Him face to face, which describes the intimate, very close presence we are going to have with Him. And one of the things, we're going to do many things there in eternity, but one of the things we're going to do is to worship Him throughout eternity. That's why, you see, if someone doesn't want to be with God now, you think they're going to want to be in a place like this for all eternity? Revelation chapter 4 says this, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald, encircled the throne. See, these are just analogies, metaphors. I mean, he's just trying to describe something so great here. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. <coughs> Must be a majestic sight, the throne of God. I remember my uncle coming from Japan. And in Japan, they don't have the kind of beaches that we have here. And I remember taking him to Hanuma Bay. And we were just kids. We were seven, eight years old. And, you know, we got off at the parking lot and he walked over to the stone wall. And then when he saw the beautiful Hanuma Bay, the crystal waters in that reef, he stood upon that wall and stared. It must have been for about 45 minutes. I remember we were sitting in the hot car going, what is he doing? We want to go eat Chef Ice. Let's go. What is the man doing? What? 
You know, what's he possibly looking at? Well, he was just marveling at the incredible beauty of Hanuma Bay. Imagine what that uh, sea of glass, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne must be like. Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor, glory and praise. You see, the throne of God is the centerpiece of heaven. You can't miss it. That's the very center of heaven through which all things revolve around. Heaven is a place where we are in the very intimate presence of God. Heaven is a place of perfection and completion. Salvation has been brought to its final completion here. There is physical perfection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul describes the resurrected body, the new body that we will receive uh, upon that day of glory, the resurrection. Paul states in verse uh, chapter 15, verse 39, he says, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is physical perfection there in our glorified body. There is perfection, completion of our knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now we see through a mirror dimly, then we shall see face to face. There is moral perfection. The sin nature is gone. Therefore, in heaven, we can have perfect fellowship with one another. And the curse is no more. The sin, our sin nature is gone, but also the curse of sin that has taken its toll upon this earth, its effects are no longer there. It is gone. It is done away with. Revelation 22 says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will no mo be no more night, for they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The curse of sin will be no more. You will not have to struggle with your sin nature. The curse of sin that has taken its toll upon the created order here, its effects are gone. It is no more. But you have come, Hebrews chapter 12, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. 
You see, we enjoy fellowship with one another here, right? But you know what? If we hung around each other long enough, pretty soon we'd drive each other nuts, all right? Well, if heaven were filled with sinful people like us for all eternity, that would not be much of a heaven, would it? But you see, it's a different kind of fellowship. Why? Well, the sin nature is gone. Now you are morally perfect. Your wisdom has been made complete. The, the curse of sin is gone. That's why heaven can be a place of perfection, of perfect worship, of perfect fellowship. No more striving against one another. No more miscommunication. No more envy. No more contending with jealousy. That's all done away with. The sin nature is gone. The curse of sin is gone when the very presence of the Lord. That's why people whose sin nature has not been dealt with upon the cross, who have not received Christ as their Lord and Savior, cannot be a part of their, that fellowship. They won't be able to stand that kind of fellowship. Well, we are just out of time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran, but we'll pick it up there next time on the topic of heaven and hell. We want to invite you to go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism is available for download at evidenceandanswers.org. You can get past shows, hear much more on the topic of heaven and hell, and check out Pat's latest books, articles, and a whole lot more. We also really appreciate it when you help us financially at evidenceandanswers.org. Your gifts help keep us on the air. And when you purchase our resources, that also helps us expand all over the world. So keep us speaking out. We'd love to hear from you. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org, click on the Donate button. And we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.